Hello and welcome to the Mind Body Free podcast. I am your host, Abigail Moss, and here we unpack what it means to heal and step into your power. And you'll find here a blend of interviews with other healers, thought leaders, and creatives, as well as live coaching sessions and guided meditations by yours truly. If you like what you hear, you can subscribe to the show and leave us a review and you can learn more about what we do as well as sign up for live coaching at mindbodyfree.com slash podcast. So without further ado, enjoy. Okay, so this conversation is with a good friend of mine and a huge inspiration. Her name is Lasha Shopik. She is a medical Qigong therapist and shamanic healer. She's been on an incredible journey and continues to go on a beautiful and incredible journey of, of healing, of shamanism, of plant medicines, of medicine songs, of just discovery and awakening and transformation. And she's the one that inspired me to step onto the path of shamanic healing. And I'm so truly and deeply grateful for her and all that she does and all the light that she brings into the world. And you'll want to listen right to the end for this one because she shares an incredibly beautiful and powerful healing song that I don't want you to miss. So without further ado, please enjoy. Welcome. Thank you for being here, Lasha. Ah, thank you, Abby. It's awesome. It's awesome to be here. So why don't you tell us a little bit about you, about your journey of becoming a medical Qigong therapist and becoming mm. a shamanic healer? Okay. Um, well, I suppose medical Qigong came out of uh, my experiences in the jungle. So you and I, we met in the jungle of Peru. We were um, at a plant healing center, an ayahuasca retreat center. And we met while we were volunteering there. And prior to that, I had come down twice. Um, that was back in, gosh, must have been 2013 now. No, no, 2014 or 15, 2014. I went for my first retreat. And, uh, and it changed my life to say the least. But one of the things that did happen was when I got home from that first retreat, I started experiencing vibration and energy in my body and I had never experienced anything like it before and um, I kind of called it energy attacks because I'd be in a deep sound sleep and I would wake up to this vibrating feeling in my body and I found it fascinating but I didn't know what it was so it was kind of alarming at the same time and um, through some serendipitous events I ended up finding uh, Wendy Lang of Empty Mountain who's now our teacher um, who teaches medical Qigong, which is an ancient form of Chinese energetic shamanism. Uh, basically, it's the meditation and breath work and energy awareness practice that allowed them to discover the meridian lines and how energy moves through the body, which allowed them to develop things like acupuncture and acupressure 5,000 years ago. So it's, and when I found that and started working with Wendy, it normalized so many things for me and it made the world make sense. It was just, the things that I was learning, which just it blew my mind every time. It was just like, I'd learn something and be like, what? They knew about that back then? How do we forget about that? 
Um, so that, so the plant medicine journey kind of led me to the energy work that I yeah, currently do and I'm currently studying. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. I agree. It is amazing stuff and yeah. it does make sense of reality. Yeah, <laughs> like, it really, really does. What, what's going on um, being on this planet in the universe? What is that all about actually? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Okay, so you, you, you went to Peru. You had some really powerful ceremonies there. Mm-hmm. And you yeah. came back and you had energy attacks. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting term. It's like, yeah, to, to feel energy in your body and it feels like an attack. It's like, this is different. <laughs> I had never really felt energy in my body before. Mm-hmm. And it was so intense um, that it would wake me up. And that's why I kind of I kind of coined it an energy attack. And it wasn't a violent thing. That sounds really violent, but it was more just random and unexpected and unanticipated and the the randomness of it and the intenseness of it the fact that it would wake me out of a deep sleep in the middle of the night um just and and it would just literally be like shaking like internal external just energy moving um and super super intense and you know so i would i was paying attention to it i was breathing into it i didn't I was trying to see if I could do anything with it. And, you know, it would always eventually subside. Um, but yeah, just the randomness about it just made it just feel like all of a sudden it just had an energy kind of a, a burst, I suppose you could call it. But to me, yeah, I just nicknamed it that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. And in a moment, I want to ask like, what you would call it now after years of training. But I can also relate mm-hmm. um, through doing the Qigong and shamanic work and through ayahuasca, it like, wakes up another part of you that feels in a whole different level yeah oh yeah it's uh ayahuasca definitely kind of opened me up to the subtle realms of reality and subtle realms of perception and energies and subtleties of things um what would i call it now i would probably just recognize that it's energy moving so and and i do believe that the reason it would happen often at night is at night is kind of when we assimilate all the information from the day and any, any emotional events or any events that we have kind of work through our system. They work through our brains, they work through our energy. And so I feel like I was unraveling and getting rid of a lot of knotted up energy, a lot of knotted up emotion, which energy in motion, emotion. And as that was working out of my system, um, it, it, it was a very visceral experience um, I went to the jungle uh, as as a, a, a trained architect with a very Western mindset. You know, as a child, I was very imaginative and very creative and had all kinds of fantasies about things, you know, talking to plants and talking to animals. But at a certain point, I kind of turned that off as make-believe. And kind of, I didn't realize that I'd bound a lot of stuff up and wound myself up, like the educational system architecture in particular is a very hyper competitive industry and it's a hyper competitive education. And so it, you, my system was fully like ratcheted up and just used to being go, 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 go. You know, you're, you're talking about being up for three, four days straight to finish a final project. So, you know, this, my system was very tense and on high alert and there was a lot that needed to kind of wind down and relax and open up. And so I feel like the, attacks quote unquote were actually energy starting to surface and unwind and release from being so wound up for so long 
Yeah. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Your energy is not – I don't believe any of our energy is meant to be in that high alert, tense, awake for four oh. days. No. <laughs> no. We don't realize how many of us live in like fight or flight daily. Yeah. yeah mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So – When you were younger, you had this kind of inclination to talk with animals, to talk with plants Mm -hmm. um, that you later called make-believe. Was there Mm -hmm. a moment or was it a gradual progression that led from calling that make-believe and not real and diving into this really kind of almost opposite end of the spectrum, (laughs) (laughs) this intensive, competitive, rigorous architecture world? Hmm. You know, um, I feel like it was probably, it wasn't one acute thing that made me kind of shut down and stop. I feel like it was just kind of a, a gradual process of whittling away at it. Like, you know, I, when, after high school, I went straight into art college, very creative, very open, very dynamic, very kind of, you would think very much in line with energy energetics and stuff like that. However, for me, I was hungry for practical application and I didn't sink into art in my early twenties because I felt like I didn't have enough life experience, like a real legitimate life experience to say anything really rich and meaningful. And so I didn't really dive into my art. That wasn't necessarily true. Um, but that's what I felt at the time. Um, And so I was very much in in search of something very practical and very applicable and, and, um, and architecture fit that bill because it's that creative side, but you have a design parameter. So you have a design problem. So you've got your fence around the playground, so to speak. So you can push the envelope as much as you want to and be hyper, hyper creative within a framework. And, um, I was looking for that, but the process of learning about architecture, the process in any university is you're learning how to think in an industry, in that industry's jargon. Um, if, does that make sense? Yeah. And that involves a very destructive unwinding process. So you kind of break everything down, you break down how you see the world, and then you build it up with these parameters and these specific ways of viewing and understanding and looking at the world that is in line with, um, you know, uh, for, for me, so architecture and the built environment and how do you look at space and looking how you move through space and looking at how space actually really affects us very greatly on our, on our day-to-day lives, but we're not aware of it on a conscious level and learning how to manipulate that and the importance of it. So you really, it's, it's a, it was a very wonderful process, but it kind of brought in this hyperdrive of analysis, I suppose, which kind of tampered that creative liberal, you know, like everything has to be able to be buildable. So everything has to be able to be articulated or, or realized or figured out. So that kind of brings things out of like the fine art realm of, of a totally pure, just fun imagination to there's, there's that with, with the practical real life, um, actualization of something and so I suppose through that whole process that hyper analytical calculating analyzing how to you know like 
it's really like, if you think of a really well-built building, you don't think about it when you're in it. You just experience it. It feels good. You're like, I like going to this place. It feels good to sit in this room, but we don't necessarily take the time to understand why. And to be able to do that, to be able to get somebody to stop and like look at their space and to have it be very clean and simple uh, is a very big process. It's really easy to make something complicated. It's very difficult to make something simple and but complex at the same time. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. The mind has all kinds of ways of creating noise. Yes. <laughs> but yeah. then to, to pull those pieces away and then distill it down to something that is mm-hmm. um, every part of it is is integral and adds to the overall um, goodness of it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Everything is to have everything be considered and everything to be considered within a certain idea or theme um, with a program. So like if it's a school or if it's a church or if it's an airport um, to have it fit that program, but also have it be, you know, well, I want it to feel very light and open and spacious and have lots of natural light or natural ventilation. Those are to keep it clean is really it, it takes a lot. Yeah. So it's, it's a lot of training to get there. And that I suppose really you, you develop a lot of process. The architectural process is quite long and there's a lot of front end work that gets done that most people don't even really see before you even get to the building part of it. And I feel like that got articulated and spilled out into the rest of my life. (laughs) Yeah. It's really interesting because I, I kind of see it energetically as like the the creative chaos is like the feminine energy. And then the linear structure that supports creating it in the physical world is like the masculine aspect Mm -hmm. of it. And so it's like kind of diving into the masculine so that it can literally be created so we can walk and live in it and it won't collapse on us and it'll feel good. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it feels to me, tell me where I'm wrong, like you kind of, you were in this flow and connected with plants, with animals, and then you dove into, or you looked at art, which is like the feminine creative process, and then went into, okay, let's contain that. Let's make a mm-hmm. container for it that we can, that can literally be a container for humans. Yeah. <laughs> and understand the process that's involved in that. And then you went a whole different direction. <laughs> Yeah, totally exploded it, basically. Exploded it, yeah. yeah. Well, sometimes you have to when you get, when it gets too regimented, it just needs to be exploded. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and well, and sometimes just when you, when you feel something, you just have to go with it, even yeah. though you don't necessarily rationally understand why or, or even feel confident in it. You just know that it's the direction you need to move in. Yeah. And so I'm assuming that you're talking about feeling called to, to try to be with ayahuasca and be in the jungle. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, we all feel compelled and get messages in different ways. And with ayahuasca, for me, it was, um, I'd been hearing about it. I had a very good friend who was, who had participated in ceremonies fairly regularly. And, you know, I'd always thought, oh, that'd be, that'd be an interesting thing to, to work with. It sounds fascinating and life-changing. However, mm-hmm. It sounds like it'd be very good for someone with a lot of trauma or a lot of pain or a lot to work through. And maybe I'll just leave it for, it never really became a priority, so to speak. Um, And then 
uh, I suppose just the way that the medicine came to me was I was living in Mexico. I was dating someone and he had worked um, for the U.S. Coast Guard and had debilitating PTSD. And we were talking and in the conversation with some friends and ayahuasca came up. And after that conversation, he was like, you know, we were talking about how basically this medicine, they don't know how it works, but they know that it, like the way your brain works is we have um, neural associations. So you have a triggering event on the outside and we have a neural pathway that creates an association. And those associations are created really early on in life. And what the medicine does somehow this plant medicine will go straight to the root event of the trauma and create a new neural pathway of association. So as a quick example, and I know you know all of this, um, but basically it, uh, like if you, if you get bit by a dog when you're younger, you might wire your brain to be afraid of dogs. Your brain might associate dogs equal danger. And so if you work with the medicine, you'll, you'll work through that trauma and realize, oh, not all dogs equal danger. And then you'll have a new neural pathway. So after this conversation, he looked at me and he was like, that is a, I never want to do that. That sounds terrifying to sit with my own thoughts and th- with, sit with all my trauma and my experiences. No way. Fast forward a few months, he sent me an email and he was like, I've been doing a lot of research. And there's more and more research about it, indicating that it does help with PTSD specifically and, and other ailments. But for this, it was like, it might really help me. I want to go sit with the medicine, but I'm terrified. And so indirectly, I was asked to come to the jungle, basically. And I just was so touched at the courage that I saw for someone willing to step through a lot of very deep trauma that I went. And uh, yeah, everything, the rest is kind of history, as they say, right? I went to one retreat and then six months later went to my second retreat was asked to come back and volunteer. I spent some time in the Andes working and studying because I didn't feel confident being in the jungle without any real in-depth experience with the plants. And then um, I went for six months and stayed for over two years in the jungle. <laughs> yeah. Oops. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Beautiful. Mm-hmm. So you got called to there by somebody else. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, yeah. I went under the pretense that I was going to help somebody else. <laughs> Little did I know. Yeah. <laughs> I was going for me. You don't <laughs> sit with the medicine for anybody else. <laughs> no, whatever it takes though, right? <laughs> yeah. 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 It was a, it was a pretty phenomenal experience. I, and I didn't go necessarily, I wasn't, you know, I was, I was pretty excited. I was in architecture thinking that that was where I wanted to be, not realizing how, kind of ratcheted or amped up or, or, um, busy I was in life. And, um, I was really resistant to go back a second time after the first time I thought that was wow, profound, amazing. I'm going to go back. I'm probably, I was actually planning to pursue a PhD in architecture to really look at kind of helping the world through sustainable design, sustainable building principles. And really, I really wanted to forefront that. So I was having interviews with different profs around the world, looking at pursuing a PhD, getting reference letters all pulled together. And in the middle of all this, I got another, I got a, a phone call from the same person that I was dating. Um, um, he was traveling a lot. So he phoned me from abroad and he was like, we need to go back. And he was on one of his trips and I was like, no, I'm good. You go back. I'm all right. I don't need to go back. 
And uh, he pushed and he pushed and he pushed until finally a week out. I was like, I thought I could outsmart things. And I was like, all right, it's a week out. If there's still space, I'll go thinking that there wasn't going to be any space. So he sends me a text a few minutes later. He's like, there's a spot. You're in. We're going. I was just like, oh, we're going again. But here's the crazy part about the medicine. In my first ceremony, back in the jungle, my second retreat, Right before we went to go and, and drink the medicine, my friend got terrified and like literally ran out of the maloka or the ceremony space. And the facilitators there sat with him and convinced him to sit and stay and just sit outside. So us in the ceremony space all took the medicine. And I remember after taking the medicine, just thinking like, wow, it doesn't just feel like he got scared. It feels like he wasn't invited into this space. That's weird. And so for people who know ayahuasca, this won't sound hokey. For people who don't, you're actually working. The indigenous believe, I also believe, that plants have spirits. They're, they're, they're beings. They're sentient beings. And when you're working with them and imbibing them, you're inviting those spirits into your body and you're working with them. And sometimes you hear their voices very clearly, like they're speaking out loud. And so I had one of those situations in this ceremony where I was thinking like, Aya, like, why was he not allowed in the ceremony space? Why does it feel like he's not allowed in? And I got a very crystal clear answer. And it was, he and I have done a lot of work together, but we're done for now. He needs to take a break. His whole reason for coming back was to bring you back because you weren't going to come back and you needed to. <laughs> and my first thought was, whoa. And then, and then it was like, come on, who do you think you are? What kind of self-importance? Like, get off your high horse. All those thoughts. So this continued with the ceremony. I stayed in the sacred space, didn't leave, didn't see him for the rest of the night until the next morning. And that's important because the next morning we hadn't talked about ceremony. I hadn't seen him. And he came and found me the next morning and was like, how was your ceremony? I was like, Oh, it was really good. He's like, cool. I, I need to tell you something that happened in my ceremony. I was like, okay, what happened? And he was like, well, so I'm sitting outside the, the Maloka space, the ceremony space. And it just, I got scared, but I felt like I was like shooed out. If it felt like I was just like told to get out and I couldn't go back in. And that was confusing. And so I was sitting with the, the facilitators and I had a little sip. And then when I was in the medicine, I was like, I still can't, I feel like I can't go in the Maloka space. Why is that? So I'm asking the medicine and I'm inquiring. And, and she gave me this, I heard this crystal clear voice. And this is, and this is him telling me this story. And he said, this is exactly what she said to me. And I need you to hear it. She said, we've worked together a lot, but we're done for now. We'll work together again in the future. The whole reason you had to come back was to bring Lasher back because she wasn't going to. And this was the only way to get her back. And it was just, <laughs> And I hadn't talked to him yet. And I hadn't, that hadn't been verbalized out loud. It was, it blew my mind. It was weird. So that was yeah. kind of one of those, you just got to trust. Trust. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It is mind blowing. And the more you're in, the more you're, the longer you're there, the more normal that stuff becomes. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's still magical and it's still fun. I like to yeah. definitely take moments to, um, revel in serendipities like that and just yeah. acknowledge them because I'm very grateful for them because mm -hmm. I to me they're just a reminder that magic is real and I like that <laughs> it's, it's nice yeah it's yeah. nice to have those 
confirmations from the universe like hey by the way magic's real mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> just in case you forgot yes <laughs> and it's working with you yeah working so with you. it was working with you because you were called there mm-hmm. and obviously there's a lot of effort that went into bringing you there <laughs> yeah it was uh yeah it was wonderful yeah, yeah I absolutely yeah. found my heart there and I never ever would have known to look so what does it mean to find your heart what was it like to find your heart there oh well um I absolutely fell in love with the jungle I fell in love with the Shipibo culture and I loved the work I loved what I saw like my western mind saw things that wasn't possible I saw healings that I just like blew my mind I remember when I was in the Andes apprenticing, working with the shaman to learn more about plant medicines to see if it was like, what is this stuff? And there was a fellow that had Parkinson's disease and so bad that he had tremors down the left side of his body and he couldn't use his left hand and couldn't walk properly. And he wasn't sitting with ayahuasca. He was working with other plant medicines. He had a very specific diet. He had a very specific kind of routine. And, um, after the first three days of this routine, I woke up one day and he was chopping wood and he chopped firewood for half a day and his body wasn't tremoring. It wasn't shaking and he had full physical control of his body. And when I saw that, I was just like, what, what the hell? It was the most amazing thing. And, um, he stayed on and, and he had it, like I said, it was a very specific, like the whole jungle is a pharmacopoeia of plants. We tend to focus on kind of the big heavy hitters, but the whole jungle, um, sometimes you don't even need, need to sit with ayahuasca, depending on what you're there for. But um, anyway, I digress. That really cracked me open. Um, through some other serendipitous events, I ended up going into the deep jungle and studying with the Shipibo Maestro which is a, a master plant shaman. Um, you know, it, historically that would have been the, the shaman of, of the village who, the, the medicine man of the village. And he was phenomenal. And um, on one of my plant diets, I was dieting a very sacred tree. The tree is called Nuyarao. And uh, I was meditating by this tree that I was dieting. So basically... Uh, yeah, just sitting in the jungle by myself, meditating. And all of this, I had never wanted kids. Even as a child, I was adamant that I didn't want kids. I didn't really like kids. I didn't really like babysitting. I wasn't really fuzzy and warm with kids. I just wasn't comfortable with them and never wanted one. I'd always thought I was very career focused and career driven. So I'm sitting underneath this tree and all of a sudden, I, my eyes pop open and out loud, I blurt out, I want to be a mother. And then I burst into tears and it was just the weirdest thing. Cause being a mother was like foreign to me, absolutely foreign. And I just had this huge cry and I realized, Oh my God, I want to be a mother. Um, yeah. And at, in, at the ayahuasca center that I had, I had actually at this time I was running an ayahuasca center now And um, the person I was running it with was also my romantic partner, who is now my husband, and we have a son. And so I literally found my heart and my family in the jungle Mm. by following my heart and following my joy because it was, yeah. (laughs) 
Yeah, oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> and just just by following, by having, by trusting, mm-hmm. by having the faith to give yourself permission to follow your heart. Yeah, and it was all following. Like I didn't seek any of it out, really. I didn't ask to go volunteer. They asked me. I didn't ask to run the center. They asked me. I was having a conversation with one of our friends and we were volunteering at the center together at that time. And he mid sentence stops and he's very intuitive and he's very flowy. Like he's um, this, this wonderful uh, individual and he'd stopped and looked at me and he says, I'm, I'm going into the deep jungle over the break. You should come too. And it was so random that I was like, okay, all right. And we went on this trip up to Iquitos, which is the biggest city in the world that you can't access by car. You have to take a boat or you have to fly in. So there's no roads out of it. There's a road. There's a highway that goes out of Iquitos and ends in the forest. That's it. Just ends (laughs) in the jungle. (laughs) You've arrived. (laughs) Yeah, you're here. So if you drive out of the city, you're going to end up at a dead end into the Amazon forest. And so that's what we did. We, he was adamant on going to see his maestro his master shaman that he was studying with. And and this is where we were going, but he's in the jungle. So we couldn't get in touch with him. So we flagged a car and got a ride and we're off on this highway and we were on this highway for about an hour. And then he's like, Oh, now we get out and we hike. And we're hiking into the jungle on this dirt road. No one's expecting us. It's like into the jungle. And it's wild to me. Like, where are we going? What are we doing? And we get to this camp and it was just uh, and that's, how I met, well, actually at the time I, I met Don Enrique, who's my maestro. I met his brother, uh, Don Miguel, and we sat with the medicine and, and, and I came back a few months later and, and stayed for nine weeks and worked with the plants really in depth, but that all came from trusting and flowing. Yeah. It's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's powerful. It's a good reminder for me too. Cause man, let me tell you, when you've got a a kid it's easy to not want to flow and it's easy to want to plan everything and try to bubble wrap them and create the perfect environment (laughs) you shall be safe in the bubble forever yes exactly i will keep you here and sit you on the shelf perfect (laughs) so once ayahuasca got you back the second time you you follow the flow and what was it like learning so you took a training to learn how to be an ayahuasca, to learn how to be an ayahuasca shaman. I did. Right? Yeah. 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 What I was did. that journey like? I loved it. It was amazing. It was, um, I was very scared of it because I, it's intense. Um, my relationship with the medicine is a little bit different than others in that I've never been afraid to sit in the medicine. I've always been like, Oh, this is, let's see where this goes. But I've never been like, Oh my God, it's, you know, I've never been scared. And I've always had a certain weird level of trust. Um, But I was very afraid of going into the deep jungle because I heard that it was very arduous and you're in the jungle. You don't have power. We had running water, which was phenomenal. Like they'd set up the camp really well that we had running water, but there's no cell service. I didn't really know what to expect. And it's, every second day you're sitting in ceremony. You're also, like I said, you're studying other plants as well. So shaman don't administer anything that they haven't tried themselves. 
because you have to work with the plant and develop a relationship with the spirit of the plant and understand how it works. And so that means taking a lot of them are purgatives and a lot of them, um, are, uh, are, it's, it's pretty intense, but it was, it was amazing. And, and while we're also doing that, you're dieting. So the way that you study plants, you don't just, we, we sat in a couple of lectures where Don Enrique would speak and kind of give us information, but really what you're doing is you're spending a lot of time in isolation. You're spending a lot of time fasting and you're ingesting certain master plants and through meditation and quiet, you're really connecting within and, and you're developing a resonance with the energy of that plant. And the best example I can give you as to how the difference or how extreme the different plant energies can feel is I was dieting a plant called Marusa, which the Shipibo talk about as a hospital. Like it's a very um, big healing plant. And when you diet any plant, you have to fast and you have a very specific diet so your energy is relatively low, and but you still want to get exercise in this camp. So every day I would walk to the road and back just to get a, to stretch my legs, to move. On the Marusa diet, there were days where I couldn't. There were days where I could hardly walk from the, the Maloka space up to my hut, my tombo. And that was like, I don't know, 20, 30 yards away and up three steps. And some days it would be like, I'd walk up a step and just sit and have to breathe and catch my breath. Like I was literally so depleted. The diet I did afterwards is a diet of a tree called Chuachaki, which is like the trickster energy. It's a, the wandering palm. It's an actual tree that has multiple trunks at the bottom and certain trunks lift and die off and then other ones grow. So it gradually walks through the jungle. That's incredible. Yeah. It's just, it's the cool, oh, tree plants are just phenomenal. <laughs> and on, on this diet, same thing, you're fasting. You've got a very specific diet, same diet, um, same amount of days fasting. And I walk the road twice a day, the whole diet. No problem. No problem. I had so much energy and I was still fasting. And when I was eating, I was eating the very same minimal limited amount of foods and the same amount of isolation and the same amount of meditation. And that's all the energy of the, of the plants. Yeah. And mm. the minimal foods and fasting, that's so that you can hear the subtlety of the plants. Yeah. So when you're doing dieta, uh, traditionally, dietas are many months long and they're done in complete isolation. It's just you in a hut way off in the jungle. Um, and the only thing that you're meant to ingest is the plant that you're dieting water. And then you work with tobacco as a cleanser. And it also energizes, it boosts. And, and that's it. Um, when you shower, you're typically just, just using water because you don't want any, there's no, there's no bug spray. There's no ointments. There's no shampoos or conditioners and, or, deodorant because all of those things um kind of distort they they create extra static and you want the energy and the air and the environment to be as clean as as neutral as possible so that's yeah. just you and the plant and there's nothing else well it's incredible to think about that and you think about how many layers of static we add typically to our lives in 
you know, Western society, yeah. <laughs> our homes and all of the, the products and the foods and the electronics and traffic. Like just, you know, I think we, we forget sometimes how different our world is to our nervous system than yeah. the world that we were designed to originally live in, the mm-hmm. wild world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point and very, very true. And it's, um, it's fascinating to see how um, when you take everything away, you know, I noticed before that in the middle of this whole experience, like they tell you your thoughts are also that kind of static. And one of the things that they let you know is likely to happen that our maestro let us know it was likely to happen is you're probably going to start thinking about foods and you don't want to go down the train of building the thoughts of, Oh, I miss chocolate cake or I miss pizza or those, those are, or sugar, like anything like that, because that's creating that storyline of that craving and that's amplifying and building and, and, and you want to be clean in your diet. The reason you're not eating those things is because it's not clean. So you also don't want them polluting your thoughts. So it's a, it's, it's a very, um, you're just like keeping everything clean, clean, clean and empty. And when you do that, you realize how much we feed ourselves to distraction and not just with food, just like occupying our times with visual, physical, mental distraction. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What would happen if we just took all those distractions away and we sat with ourself? And I mean, then yeah. and that's the layers. And I think you mentioned you've done Vipassana meditation too. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, they talk about that a lot there. And in Buddhism of that craving and aversion. So we our mind creates all these cravings for things we want, whether it's food or a person or a career or an object and then aversion to the discomfort, to Mm -hmm. the pain and to the fear of just being with ourself. And Mm -hmm. it's interesting because at first it usually sucks because all of the thoughts come up, all the cravings, all the detoxing Mm -hmm. and it takes a while to get to peel off those layers, but then the reward is so worth it to actually get to meet yourself. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and it continues, right? Um, yeah, the, they, they call that the hungry ghost because it's never satiated. It's, it's not a thing, but it's, yeah, the craving yeah. is the hungry ghost. And yeah, it's, um, it's shocking to see what we, what we avoid looking at and what we avoid sitting with and the, the hilarious irony that you come to, the realization that you come to when you strip all of that away is if you just sit with it, it's far, far less uncomfortable. Yeah. Then trying to placate it. Cause then you're repeating the discomfort. You're actually suppressing it so that it just stays there and kind of grows. It's like an itch. It's like an itchy bug bite. Whereas if you just don't scratch it and leave it, it goes away a lot faster. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 If you keep feeding the hungry ghost, it'll just keep consuming and consuming. And we see evidence of that on our planet and our society of needing more, wanting more. Um, but it is never enough as long as as long as we keep feeding it and as long as we have that belief of, you know, I, I feel like the outer world reflects the inner world. And if on some level we don't believe we're enough, then it won't matter how much stuff you try to shove in there. <laughs> And we'll oh, yeah. fill that void until you realize who you really are behind Abs- beliefs like that. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I feel like we, 
that happens in many expressions. I know a main practice of mine and Lee's relationship is continually letting each other go because that reminds us that there's nothing to be afraid of. We're here because we want to be with each other. We don't have to be with each other. And that takes away any kind of frustration of expectation. And that helps also take away any fear because it's the, the fear of the discomfort of loss. Well, if you're letting that person go continuously, then you're able to continuously appreciate them because you're never assuming that they're just, you're, they're not beholden to you. And it's not an easy practice, but it's certainly served us very well. It's yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the practice of non-attachment with your spouse, like the most difficult of all to practice non-attachment with. <laughs> well, yeah. And it means that we can actually sit and have very, very real conversations. You know, we're not rude with each other, but we share our deep truth at the risk of, you might not like this truth, but I have to share it because it's my truth. Um, and we do those deep dives and we go to those scary places and it's always brought us closer to, to sit and, and see it through. But man, yeah, it's, we, we go there. There's some conversation, especially in the beginning when we we're getting to know each other, there'd be times where we're like, are we going to make it through this one? I don't know. You know, you're talking about a tender subject where you don't see eye to eye, but you, you want to find that, your, that, that resonance. So you got to sit through and keep talking, keep diving and keep diving. And it, it's, it's always brought us to the surface and closer. Yeah. Yeah. But you can't have that if you're afraid of, um, affecting the other person or losing the other person, losing the other person's more accurate because we're not rude. We, we do our best to be as loving with our truth because that's important. Love and respect are absolutely fundamental. So I'm not talking about just like, Oh, you were a blah, blah, blah today. You know, it's... my truth is that you're a jerk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not like that. Yeah. I mean, we can say that, but we can say that in a very loving way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and it's beautiful that you're both at that place with a level of openness and willingness to do that work. Because it does take two mm-hmm. to, to go there and to go to those places. Oh my yeah. gosh, it, yeah. it, it does. And it's not, I mean, there's times where, you know, we're having a conversation and it's resistance. And, you know, I don't know how many times we've, I've been in that zone and he's like, come on, we got to finish this. <laughs> <laughs> or just like sits down and like, we're going to, you know, takes as long as it takes. We're doing it. I'm like, oh, yeah, you're right. You're right. Okay. Yeah. Breathe into the discomfort and let's keep diving. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and then it gets to be that place. I felt that too with, with, with Dave where, you know, oh, my goodness, this is not comfortable. Are we going to get through this? I don't know. You know, I, I think it should just jump ship and run. That, I think that's the best thing to do right now. <laughs> this feeling yeah. sucks. I want a new experience right exactly. now. Yes. And that's it. We all just want to feel good. Mm-hmm. And so it's like letting the mind know that, you know, the, the, true, the true happiness is on the other side of the discomfort. So let's get through it. And let's yeah. dive into it together. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Okay. So, Let's go back to the jungle. <laughs> um, so you had these dietas and you're connecting with these plants. Um, and then you were running the retreat center with your now husband, which is amazing, by the way. I didn't realize that was the new title. How beautiful. Congratulations. 
Um, and, and then what? Oh, well, we were running the retreat center and um, we, both of us absolutely loved the work, loved working with the plants, loved the community, loved living in a community. And at the same time, we both realized that we were in a place where we could have stayed forever, but we weren't ever going to reach that next level of growth. We, we both felt a ceiling. And it was a really hard thing to admit when you are somewhere where you're absolutely happy through and through and you love the work that you're doing. Uh, it, it was a difficult decision to leave the jungle. Um, we actually had been asked to, to potentially run another retreat center. So it was work that was very much in our hearts. And I remember having that conversation when we were really sitting down and I looked at Lee and I was like, cause that was my dream. I loved the work. I loved being immersed in that and the, um, going even deeper into the jungle and working with more plants and stuff was just, and doing research was just this dream come true. But I, when I really sat and breathed into it, I, I looked at Lee and I was like, I, I want to, but if I'm honest with myself, that feels like the easy way out. It's, it's become the easy thing to do is to sit with the medicine and uh, so we decided to just to trust that, to trust the heart. And we came back to Canada. And it's been a beautiful roller coaster of integrating, living in the jungle, living outside of the system, very much so, living outside of the medical system, living outside of a governance system, living with, um, living with the Shipibo. Uh, to come back to Canada and, and then to be around family as well, who knew us pre-jungle. And um, and it's been, a, and I and I see crystal clear why we came back, you know, because um, you have to. I think it was Ram Dass. He says it so beautifully and concisely. He said at one point, if you think you're enlightened, go spend a week with your family. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> with love, because that's where all of your triggers are going to come right back in your face, all your patterns, all of your resistances, all of that stuff. And it's really easy to get into a flow of being in a comfortable space, in a comfortable setting. But in order for us to kind of crack that shell and grow even more, we had to come home and walk that walk here and really and, and test our mettle, so to speak. And it's been wonderful and it's been a really cool journey and it continues to open and unfold and yeah <laughs> yeah and then it, that integration process that's what like the they call it in in ayahuasca world <laughs> yeah like you, you learn all these lessons and have these amazing insights in these ceremonies and all these healings and then the science of it would say you've developed a new um neurological association but you still have this deeply entrenched association so you have to go back and use practices like mindfulness, meditation, breathing um, to really start to get that new neural pathway worn in because it's very easy when you go back to a familiar environment around familiar people to just flip back to the old neurological association, the, the previous behavioral patterns. Mm -hmm. and, and that's the challenge of it. And that's the integration. That's, that's what you're integrating is, is, really being hyper mindful and aware so that you're not just flipping back into this entrenched pattern to, to really dig into a new association to really expand and keep those uh, insights 
functional. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's that balance when you're, when you're at the retreat center, you're fully immersed. There's this beautiful, open-hearted community that under, totally understands it, totally gets it, that are there for you, that are loving and magic everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> the medicine, which opens you up to even more magic everywhere and mm -hmm. this beautiful nature and this, this cleanness of all of that, of no, no static around. Mm -hmm. And then coming back and then it's the shit hits the fan. <laughs> Mm -hmm. it's real life oh, it's like bills like, how do you navigate in mm -hmm. yeah, it, yeah. It's, it's absolutely that and it's yeah. um and it's and that's been a really necessary like I see how some people are meant to stay in the jungle and some people are meant to to stay there and some people get stuck there because it's easy it becomes mm -hmm. the safe thing the familiar thing the comfortable thing um because it was very uncomfortable to come back and kind of get reoriented and and figure out how to stay feeling connected to that it's a very spiritual thing like both lee and i firmly feel like the the plant medicines and work we did it's highly spiritual and it's 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 like religion to us it is religion it's our church mm -hmm. and how do you maintain that connection and how do you remember that and stay in that place when you're in a world that isn't reminding you every moment of every day because you're not in the jungle living in the land with the plants and the medicines. Yeah. Yeah. Do you feel like that's what part of what the medicine wants is to call us there to remember and then bring that awareness out into the world? That's a great question. Yes. Hugely, hugely. Um, it, it was Lee who kind of put it really well he talks about how when you're working with the medicines you're not just having an experience with the plants the plants are also occupying your body and having an experience through you and your being and when you work with the, the medicines and you have the the fortunate opportunity to heal and to kind of wake up to a new level of awareness um it, I feel that you become an ambassador of the medicine. You represent the medicine because you're representing all the possible potentialities and the love that was that that kind of came out of that healing or that awakening or that um, that sacred experience. And that's exactly it. We need to be walking more of that walk. You know, you really open your eyes to see how wow, we're all really just adults but acting out our 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 traumas and our hurts from when we were toddlers and, and babies and children and with this level of unawareness and disassociation and detachment um if we really remembered in every waking moment that we are divine beings having a human experience and that we are all of the same divinity then i would remember constantly that you are me and you're a reflection of me and i wouldn't dare to be rude or vulgar or condescending or treat you poorly in any way, because I would know that I'm treating myself poorly and our world would be a very different place. And those yeah. are the things you know when you're in the jungle. Those are the things you experience when you sit with people in the medicine. Yeah. Do you feel like we're moving towards that? 
that place of remembering that we are these divine beings having a human experience that are all connected? I feel so. I, I feel like even if it's not on a conscious level, we're all striving for connection. It's, it's, a, it's an interesting piece of the human condition to me that we are so socially reliant and socially connected. And yeah, we are all dying to be ourselves and express, but we all have this fear of fully expressing ourselves. And the way that that gets articulated and quelched in others is that we try to shut someone down for shining too much or saying too much or being themselves too much because it makes us uncomfortable because we don't allow ourselves to express fully. I feel like that's very much the case because fundamentally everybody wants that. Yeah. Everybody wants to belong and be loved for themselves wholly and completely and fully. Absolutely. Yeah. And it feels like the work that ayahuasca is doing and that a lot of healers are doing in a similar way. And I love when you described how ayahuasca takes someone back to the beginning of a trauma and reframes it, rewires it. So there's a new synapse so that that person no longer has to keep operating from that place of trauma. Mm-hmm. And interesting is that's what so many healers do through regression therapy, through cognitive behavior therapy, you know, through mm-hmm. the shamanic work that we learned through Wendy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting to see the, the parallels in that. Um, but I feel like this trauma healing is getting us all back there. It's mm-hmm. like peeling off the layers mm-hmm. between our awareness and our true self, mm-hmm. which is free and inherently connected and inherently belongs. And this work that many are choosing to do and some are being pushed into doing through like healing ourselves is, is like the map there, the map back to that place of belonging and, and freedom. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. There's so many ways to get to those um, root traumas. And there's so many different modalities, Uh, new modalities, ancient modalities. Um, There's a lot of new phenomenal research being done um, in trauma and child development that are just, it's, yeah, it's a very, I feel like our awareness is growing and our desire is growing as, as a global culture for sure. Um, And part of that process, just like, with any of it is the discomfort of, of sitting in it. And it's a, it can be, it it can feel very destructive because you kind of have to break through all the different layers to get to the source. And then once you're there, then it's, then you can grow. Yeah. Um, So it is uncomfortable, but it's super effective. And, And even with this, like, to your point, the, the mandates to be isolating, to self-isolate. Isolation is a very shamanic and a very spiritual practice. Like, and we're asking our entire populations to self-isolate with no spiritual or shamanic support. That is a big undertaking. So a lot of people are facing a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff is coming to surface for better or worse. And it's being supported for better or worse. And so I do feel like it's a collective kind of somewhat forced awakening. It's, it's very, um, it's very powerful. There's a reason why 
most cultures, spiritual or shamanic or or not, when when you you know some cultures when you reach a certain age you go off on a vision quest to find yourself. It's by yourself, and it's you're alone in the wilderness. You're you're there's a lot about being by yourself when you've got no distractions. Um, that there, there's a reason for that. There's a very deep self-realizing, self-actualizing reason for that. It's very powerful. So yeah, I do feel like we're headed in that direction from all different angles. All angles, yeah. All the angles that are needed. And uh, yeah, it's it's that rite of passage mm-hmm. that so many so many cultures and tribal cultures and different cultures have of that growing up and you know becoming an adult. Mm-hmm. becoming a new title, becoming something new, hopefully multiple times in each of our lives. And we're collectively going through this metamorphosis. And yeah. what we become is up to our openness and willingness to look at ourselves as well, I feel, is the support that we get, however that support looks, to have a guide walking you through the darkness it's like, oh yeah, I've been there. I know that feeling. It'll be okay. You just have to go and I'll continue unpacking the stuff. Absolutely. And, and, you know, we've seen in the last few years an explosion in coaching. I don't think that's a coincidence. I don't feel that's a coincidence at all. No. People are seeing the necessity of, of having someone who can be a sounding board for them, can, can help them navigate that, whatever expression it's going to take. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. And everyone needs it differently. Everyone thinks and looks and responds differently. And I love the way that you use the term destructive uh, twice now with, with thinking in architecture. And then just now is it's, it's a ultimately productive process <laughs> to deconstruct so that you can reconstruct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's nowhere on earth that I've seen that more vividly than in the jungle. The jungle is such an intense energy and the life death cycle is so fast and in your face. And so like, there's just so much life condensed into the the rainforest. Like it's, everything is alive and moving and eating something and like re having laying eggs. And then they, it's just like, it's just life, death, life, death, life, death. It's amazing. Like, the best example I could give is, you know, how when you're growing up, I don't know if your mom said this, I feel like most people's moms are like, don't leave crumbs out of bugs or you get bugs in the house. <laughs> and it's kind of anecdotal in Canada. Well, in the jungle, mm-hmm. it's not anecdotal. If you, don't <laughs> no, wipe not. A, if you don't wipe a surface, you're going to get either tiny little spiders or like tiny little ants or cockroaches, like something's going to come and eat it, you know, like within minutes, within minutes. Yeah. They're gonna, it's going to infest and then it'll be gone like there was no trace of what was on yeah. the counter, no so, trace of the ants. A little army of creatures yeah. within a few minutes of leaving it out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, living in the jungle, I know there were a few times where you'd have something show up kind of dead and I'd never move it. I would just leave it and it would be gone and the jungle would reconsume it. And, you know, I could, yeah, I remember stepping out of my door once and being like, how come there's a plastic bag hanging from my porch? And then I looked at it closer and it was this really big, long snake skin hanging from my porch. Wow. Like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, never mind. Oh, I'm in a different world. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. And the energy is 
So compared to Canada, where right now we're going into winter, it's cold. It becomes very quiet, very mm-hmm. subdued. I actually really enjoy it as a way of self-reflection. Mm-hmm. as like a kind of dieta in a little way. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the jungle, it is so alive and the vibration and the buzz is so strong. So it's so intense and it takes time to adjust to that, to adjust mm-hmm. to that vibration or mm-hmm. you, you are just a part of it. And you can't not be. You can't just mm-hmm. hide inside with your sweater and cup of tea and be comfortable. You have to accept what you're in and mm-hmm. allow yourself to be a part of it. Yeah. Yep. That's and it's cool. Like, and you know, on the on the Pacific Coast, we're still in the rainforest. It's just a temperate rainforest, and you feel the um, the the slow like it's dialed back a bit is not there's not the intensity there's not the tropical heat the torrential rains like there's heavy rains here but it's it kind of just drizzles buckets it doesn't just like pelt down all the time um so it's it just it's a different it's still intense but it's like a more drawn out intense there's still power but it's like kind of a slower bigger steadier power yeah, it's like the sweet spot between the two. <laughs> I love the Pacific Northwest. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Beautiful there. It's very special. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I want to ask you too about what they call the Icaros. So that's the music, the song that the shaman, that the Ayahuascaros sings when working with the, the medicine. Mm-hmm. How does that work? So for the Shipibo, they... Culturally, they don't see a difference between sight and sound. They experience it simultaneously. And you get to experience this. You, you may experience this when you, if you ever work with ayahuasca, where you will start to see, um, I can't think of the term, actually. There are certain people who, though, like the sounds will start and they'll see colors flash, Um and I can't think of the term of it, but they experience that as well. And so what they see is that life is vibration and it can be an auditory vibration or a visual vibration. And we are vibrating beings. And when you're in the medicine, they see our vibration and they see areas where our energy isn't flowing and it's bound up or areas where we have a lack of energy and it's kind of an open hole, so to speak, if you can picture a sweater. So you've got like a whole bunch of stitching stuck here and then a big hole here. And through the ikaros and the medicine songs, through the vibration of the sound, they help pull out and tease out where the energy is all knotted up and it creates a pattern of vibration and they fill in or stitch together the areas where there's a lack of, of, of energy and again, continue. So they see us as, as vibrating patterns and the songs and the ikaros that they sing with ayahuasca and in ceremony are vibrations that help. um, Yeah. Fix our vibrations, get our vibrations all kind of more even and, and uh, I'm flowing. Yeah. yeah and very, it's very powerful. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. We've, we've each felt that <laughs> it's visceral, it's, you know, it's <laughs> I'm singing to you yeah. <laughs> very yeah. strong. Oh, yeah. I usually leads to can lead to tears or laughter or a, 
insights, all kinds of things. Yeah. Sometimes it's beauty. Sometimes you just want to run away because it's just like, stop. It's too much. <laughs> Even. Yes. Yep. There's that. It's yeah. It's a, it's, um, it's a really important part of their ceremony. And one of the things that I really love that's happening in the jungle right now is um, there's a center called the Rio Spo Center and they are doing research uh, with universities and they're doing research with plant medicines. But the kicker for me that I really think is valuable that isn't really being seen is they're doing their research in conjunction with the ceremonial setting. And they're talking about and looking at the effectiveness and the importantness at the importance at the importance of the ceremony and the sacred set and setting for healing. And through all of my experiences of sitting with the medicine, that's one piece that I feel can't be stressed enough is the set and setting because it is such a potentially, it's a very vulnerable process and it's potentially so destructive that if if um, you want to make sure that you're sitting in a very trusted, safe, in, in, in its integrity, set and setting to hold that space for you to go to those deep places to be able to surface all of those very um, entrenched traumas to get that energy moving. And uh, it's very important that you have somebody there to hold space so that that energy can shift. Absolutely. Yeah, and the ecros are a big part of that for sure. Yeah. It's like building a relationship with the plant, like you said, and you don't take your powerful guru teacher and healer to the nightclub to learn. <laughs> somewhere sacred, <laughs> somewhere quiet, somewhere safe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, it's funny. That's how most of our introduction it or not. I shouldn't say most of our. That's how I was first introduced to plant medicines with with mushrooms when I was younger, and it was in the party scene, and it was it was beautiful. But uh, I hadn't tapped into the potential that it had when really taken in with a, a sense of respect and even reverence and mm -hmm. intention for healing. Yeah. And if I could add to that, actually, we did have a DJ come to the jungle, a really mm. well-known DJ and his music. Um, he talks about how music, because it's very influential. And when you've got a crowd going, the energy builds in the crowd. And he talked about, actually, we had a few people come through the jungle who were involved in music or light, lighting, which was interesting. Interesting. And they would use the lighting in their music and create a certain atmosphere where they would say they had, they would push the energy of the crowd and people would have these moments of epiphany or revelation or shift in their, in themselves through the music. Um, different experience. It's very, it's, it, it hits kind of a different place than sitting uh, with a shaman with a plant medicine. Um, this is, you know, typically being used with things like MDMA and stuff in, in mm -hmm. that setting. However, there are people that go and there are collective groups that go with the intention of that and have that love and that intention of like a collective building of energy, building of love and, and, and breakthrough. So that was really, I never really thought of it that way before. And that was really, really cool to hear, but very different way about approaching that 
Yeah. And it's, it's our cultures or our cultures, this, this Western modernized cultures way of working with rhythm and movement and sound to mm. um, do what we did, do what we've done for so long in tribal cultures with, you know, like yeah. dancing around a fire and to a certain motion and movement and rhythm and chanting that would induce these trance states mm -hmm. and create tra healing and breakthroughs and, and release uh, blocks for people. And we're, we're still intuitively finding ways of doing that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, just, a, it is a very different way, a very different way. Yeah. Of, of very working. different setting. Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 The nightclub versus <laughs> the ayahuasca. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. Beautiful and healing in their own ways, <laughs> but not together. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That wouldn't be something that I would hurry up to, to experience. <laughs> no, me either. Um, all right. So the Icaros. And so, um, you were taught the Icaros in your training. Is that right? Mm, or yeah. Certain Icaros songs. Yeah, we were, we were studying with Don Enrique and that was it. Uh, like part of the time it was all these plant medicines, but it also felt like music camp because there was, you're singing all the time and you're learning the medicine songs and you're also, um, sometimes you're inspired and, and a new melody comes. So you're taught, the an ikaro with a melody and sometimes you end up with your own melody and so but you're singing constantly and you're just you're and that's building and shifting energy as well constantly so yeah it was it was fun it was like i didn't know that studying shamanism was like just music all the time <laughs> <laughs> who knew it could be this fun <laughs> who knew yeah this is this is awesome yeah yeah it's very experiential you're yeah. not reading out of a textbook you're, you're doing it mm -hmm. yeah yeah. And you're feeling it and you're just, you're, yeah. And it's either just on your own one-on-one -on -one or sometimes, you know, you'd, you'd sit down and, 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 and sing together. And that was, that was very beautiful. Mm, absolutely. I can imagine. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so I've heard you sing different medicine songs and I think that it's so beautiful and so powerful and I feel energy moving and I feel tears releasing and, just getting, you know, the, the clarity and the insights and the healing that definitely remind me of the jungle and Peru mm -hmm. and ayahuasca. And um, last time you sang, I actually felt like I was like the plants were right there. They're yeah. right back here. And it was such a treat to feel that and to mm -hmm. remember that. And it's like, oh, they're not that far away. They're right here. Um, I'm so grateful for that. Thank you. Me too. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Um so how would you feel about singing an Icaros today? Sure. I'd love to share an Icaro. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'll just, I tend to close my eyes before I sing an Icaro because I, when I was taught to sing Icaros, I was you know, kind of cue up and connect with the plants. So I'm just going to take a moment and do that. Yeah, no one will see you. It's all audio. You can make all the faces you want and take Perfect. as much time as you like. <laughs> all right.
brings the jungle right in close yeah absolutely like being in ceremony again mm. yeah <laughs> yeah what does that feel like for you to sing it oh man um singing in ceremony is my favorite favorite thing ever i love it i love the feel of the energy it just it, it doesn't even feel like i'm singing it feels mm. like i'm just open and experiencing my body singing um and to sing uh, i'm just very grateful to have the ikaros and i love just really diving in and sinking into them and, and playing with them and just hearing how they're coming through um it's been a journey too at first it was a lot about really spending energy and time thinking about how it sounds and now it's a lot more just being open and allowing it to just be and flow through and that yeah that's yeah it just it feels great <laughs> yeah it feels great to perceive it <laughs> yeah i get it when you're singing i could feel and imagine everyone who's listening to this getting to receive it in their own way and just the healing energy of that kind of weaving all over oh mm -hmm. thank you oh thank you yeah it's definitely those are beautiful powerful songs the the second one is um uh, a beautiful blessing a medicinal ikaro um it's don enrique's family ikaro and it's uh it's an absolutely it's powerful I, I really it's a visceral one to sing for me and it's very very powerful for me yeah. mm. i hope it does offer people that that moment of i don't know ease love joy <laughs> healing yeah yeah I feel like it'll give them whatever they need in that moment. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, this has been such a pleasure. Yeah, um, thank you. How, thank you. And how can people, um, people want to work with you? How, how can they best reach out to you? The best way to reach out to me is either on Facebook um, at Lasha S. So L-E-I-S-I-A-S. That's my profile on Facebook or by email, which is my first name dot my last name at gmail.com. So lasha dot shopik, S-H-O-P-I-K at gmail.com. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's been such a treat too, because I met you in Peru. I don't know how many years ago it was now, four or five years ago. Yeah. <laughs> 
the years the, the numbers keep going up because that's, that's yeah. how time works mm -hmm. <laughs> it feels like forever but also yesterday mm -hmm. absolutely <laughs> yeah and so it's been a real, real treat to go on a kind of similar journey and watch uh you grow and while i grow so thank you oh my gosh. for being on on the path and thank, thank sharing you. it yeah thank you so much it's been phenomenal it's been amazing to uh share this journey with you and to um and i say share just because you're a constant source of inspiration watching you move and be inspired and just you're you're very daring and you're very um action oriented and phenomenal. <laughs> and the practice that you have is inspiring your sessions are very very powerful and very valuable Thanks. so yeah thank, thank you. you you too yeah that's the beauty of um getting to have healer friends it's like hey <laughs> help help yeah and I guess just in general to be able to say help it's a really great thing to ask and receive help mm -hmm. yeah. yeah thank you for all help that you've given me which has been a lot and um yeah everyone has their own gifts and yours are beautiful and many and thank you for sharing them with the world thank you so much this has been phenomenal and likewise it's uh yeah it's like i'm excited to see how it all unfolds and where it all goes it's been such a phenomenal journey thus far it's and it just keeps getting better and better <laughs> absolutely absolutely and um thank you to everyone listening and yeah reach out to lasha she's a wonderful healer and uh ayahuasca <laughs> and uh singer <laughs> so um, yeah, thanks so much, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Mind Body Free podcast. I really hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, leave us a review and subscribe so you can stay up to date with future episodes. And you can learn more at mindbodyfree.com podcast. I'm your host, Abigail Moss, and I'll see you next time.